0: Welcome to the Power for All podcast, a forum for leaders working to end energy poverty. I am Ashna Agarwal, your host for today. In commemoration of International Women's Month, we have with us a very special guest, Dr. Deborah Rowe. Dr. Rowe is the president of the U.S. Partnership for Education and Sustainable Development. She's also co-founder of the Higher Education Association Sustainability Consortium, founder-facilitator- of the Disciplinary Association's Network for Sustainability and Senior Advisor to the Association for the Advancement of Sustainability in Higher Education. Deborah has been Professor of Energy Management and Renewable Energy for over 30 years at Oakland Community College near Detroit, Michigan. She has received numerous awards, including an Energy Education Award at MIT from C3E. She's often a keynote speaker at national and international educational conferences. She is the author or editor of numerous publications. Dr. Rowe earned a bachelor's degree from Yale University and received two master's degree and a PhD from the University of Michigan. Welcome Deborah, and thank you for your time. You're very passionate about education for sustainability and clean energy. How did you get started and why is this important?
1: Thank you, I'm really glad to be here with you today. Um, So I'm from Detroit, Michigan. And as you know, that's a community that has a lot of poor people and that we haven't figured out how to eliminate the poverty that's there. So it was with that in mind that I went off to Yale University. And there I found that New Haven, Connecticut also has neighborhoods with a lot of very poor people who are making decisions between heating and eating. And I thought that is an unreasonable decision to have to make. So, I started looking into it and not only learned about the that issue of energy poverty, but I also learned about climate change. So that was in the 70s and I have been working on climate change ever since and to me the involvement in renewable energies was key. So I went to work at a solar company. I learned how to install and how to design and how to sell. And I opened up my own company and then I went and did wholesale work. And then I actually went to a college and I said, you need to be able to give this away. Because number one, there's a lot of do-it-yourselfers who can install systems once they understand how to do it. But also for the many communities where that's not the case, because Detroit's different that way, right? We had a lot of people who were in the factories who had a lot of hands-on skills. We need to be able to give people the information so that they can move out of energy poverty and also so that they can own their own energy or at least access affordable energy. And so that was the beginning of a long pathway that hasn't stopped for the last 43 years. That's how long I've been teaching this and helping other colleges and universities start their own programs. But in the last few years, my passion has really turned to green jobs, workforce readiness, and how to do this clean energy transition in a way that's inclusive and that really creates a better and more sustainable future for all.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. I really do resonate with personal experiences um, really driving our passion for the field that we're working in. Um, So this month, uh, specifically on March 8th, the whole world celebrates the social, political, and economic achievements of women, but also reminds us that we're still far from achieving gender equality. In the renewable energy sector, the numbers are out there, and they do put a spotlight on the lack of gender diversity in the sector. Uh, do you envisage things will change for the better?
1: So things will change for the better if we make them get better. And that's that's got to include not only the women of the world, but everyone in the world, right? We know that when we talk about bringing in women to this field, that it benefits not only them. It also benefits men and it benefits families and it benefits future generations. And it benefits the businesses, the NGOs, and the governmental employers that they become a part of. So, of course, I envision it getting better. We have no choice but to go forward. Um, I also am very encouraged by, you know, I'm doing a lot of really important meetings, doing systemic change within countries, across countries, um, at many different levels. And almost all my meetings have a majority of women now. So we're seeing them come to positions of power and decision-making, but of course, not in all sectors, not in all arenas. So the precedents are set, but they have to become the norm. And we all can help do that.
0: That's very encouraging. And yes, of course, um, you know, we have we have to get to a place where there are more women on the table. And the theme for this year's International Women's Day is hashtag break the bias. So are there any major biases that you have recognized um, in the decentralized energy sector that really hinder the sector from achieving gender equality? How do these biases matter and do women have a significant role to play in the sector? Yes,
1: yeah, so that's a wonderful question. And I would not uh, propose that I'm the expert on all the biases. So, you know, I have a sister and her whole career has been around helping doctors, she's a doctor, listen more effectively to their patients, teaching the skills of empathy and listening and communication and getting that into the medical school curricula so that we can have better healthcare and also reaching out to the health disparities between different communities and building the trust and extending the policies for inclusion, Um, lots of different groups are not being included. But when you don't include the women, you're you're not including like half of the world, right? And so um, I'm not going to tell you I'm the expert on all the biases. I, I think that we need to really look at the literature that's done the studying of that. Um, Irina has a really good report on gender disparities in our global guidance document on education for green jobs. We have a section that looks at the resources that are out there and those resources are growing every day, but it's not good enough to just have a report on the shelf. I could give you examples of biases, but instead of focusing on that I think what we've got to focus on is let's take the knowledge that's out there of where the bias is and how we help people who have those biases, which really is all of us to one extent or another, but in some it's much worse, how we help them walk across the bridge to a new place where women are included and we all can benefit from that. I also think this has to do a little bit with the redefinition of work and how do we structure work and how do we allow people to make contributions? So I could get into lots of details on that, but we don't have enough time. So it's it's about integrating it in, not as a pilot program, not as an initiative, but as the institutional norm. And this isn't just in big organizations but it's in all organizations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what you just said made me think that how all these biases are organization agnostic and also sector agnostic. um, And all of us could be working on this together for sure. But uh, specifically for the decentralized renewable sector, what do you think that the actors should really prioritize to make a progress in addressing this gender parity in the renewable energy space?
1: Um, I think there's a few things. (laughs) So in the um, workforce development area, um, we need to create recruitment materials and we're doing that now. So the National Clean Energy Workforce Alliance that we have in the United States, its next meeting is about um, convening the community based organizations that recruit from um, disadvantaged communities, but also um, the the women's communities so that they get recruited in. they It's like, yes, you belong here too. And that the marketing materials and the educational pathway materials reflect that. So it's first recruiting them in, it's then in the textbook. Um, I, I could tell you stories of what it was like being the first female only female um, instructor in the whole department. There are things that were said to me There were coffee cups that had handles that were obscene in the objectification of women that are not acceptable now, but the attitudes that produced those behaviors still exist. And there is no blame here. It's about exploring together. I also think it's really important to reach out to those that are defensive about this. You know, well, what about me? I'm being left out. May I dare say we're talking about the men of the world? And say to them, no, this is going to benefit you as well. Let us show you how. Um, So that it's not about just lifting up women. It's about showing the benefits to all of including women. Uh, So that's on the education side. But then also in the culture of the places where the women would work. Um, Lots of times those workforce um, cultures are not welcoming to women. Um, and not listening to women. I remember a great study that helped me so much that showed that, and it's not all men, right? But it's a majority of men who tend to keep track of whose idea won in a meeting. And it's like almost a poker chip that gets handed back and forth. And you've got to say something good if they said something good to you. And that when women are the majority, and once again, not all women are like this, All the ideas are thrown into the center of the table and they merge together and the best ideas are synthesized out of that. And at the end of the day, the women don't remember whose idea it was. They're not keeping track. So it's different ways of approaching things. We have to understand those different decision-making processes. And by the way, the data showed that, like I said, it's not all gender specific, but as we learn more about how we can collaborate more effectively. And this is not rocket science. It's not that hard to do. And it helps not only the workplace culture to be more welcoming to women and be able to help them shine and contribute more that benefits everybody, of course, but it also helps at home. It also helps in the communities. This is about relationship building and improvement that helps all of us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's such a human problem to solve where there's some unlearning to do, some relearning to do. And I'm sure that there are victories that women in the sector have enjoyed, despite these gender stereotypes or perspectives of people who uh, were already in the sector that have stood in the way of women's progress. Do you have any personal experiences uh, that you regard as victory for women in the renewable energy sector?
1: Well, of course, once, you know, I'm at meetings now and I see women running things all the time. And I will tell you that 40 years ago, when I started, I was like a lone wolf, right? And, and actually wolves don't live alone. So it, it was very bizarre. And so that's been changing and that's wonderful. Um, I have heard about a number of companies who've done the, done the work of changing the workplace culture. They've done the training. And they've done it not just for those who were hiring, not just those who were supervising, but for everybody at the company. And and people say things like, oh, this was so helpful. Not only at work, things are more smooth at work, but also in the rest of my life. So something that may not have come up in my bio is that I have also been teaching psychology um, for, let's see, 43 years, 12, 31 years. And I'm a little bit unusual in the way I teach psychology because I bring positive psychology into the theme as the theme for every course that I teach. What's positive psychology? Well, it's about instead of waiting until your life is not functioning well and having to go see a therapist, instead, we bring out those skills, those insights, those um, uh, perspectives. That can improve our own emotional intelligence, our own intrapersonal skill of taking care of ourselves and managing ourselves well, and also our interpersonal skills. And um, many of it, com- many of those things come from uh, what women are more comfortable with in the workplace culture than what exists now. And what I want to tell you is that every single semester, uh, you can see the transformational learning that takes place. And it's not difficult to teach these skills and it helps not only for inclusion of women and empowerment of women, but it actually, it really, as I say, helps the company as well. So, uh, and then, then of course, in the way that we do hiring practices, I've seen some, and this is when it's institutionalized, right? It's not just a pilot program. It's not just an initiative. So you, you know, so you can like say, check it off and I've done it. Um, it's about making it the mainstream norm. Uh, where, in the hiring process, uh, things are done on purpose to protect um, knowledge about what the gender is in the initial screening, so that the biases don't come in to provide professional development that and I'm not just talking about conscious bias, most of the time it's unconscious bias, right and let's let's be blunt about this. There are power structures particularly in some of the remote communities where we want to are doing our work right in this organization, where we want to do our work, where this could be a bit of an upending of the power structure of how the community is organized, where the men have more power, the women have more work, but less power. And so, um, I think we need to be respectful, um, and careful about how we help women to see what the possibilities are for them. One of my favorite things that we have at the US Partnership website you know, it's go to uspartnership.org, click on direct action, you'll see um, 42 videos from nine countries, um, many of which are women who are change makers, in this case, working with sea level rise, one of the impacts of climate change, and how they are leaders in their community, providing solutions for all so they're appreciated and respected and not fought against as an upending of the power structure, but embraced.
0: Yes, absolutely. That was super helpful. And There's so much like psychological intricacies um, that drive these decision making, or even like you said, subconscious decision making that happens because of power structures that have already been in place or just things that we've learned from people who have been in the sector before us. And one of the such things are like male dominance in the top positions in any sector is like likely to stall the elevation of women into leadership positions. Um, You know, even apart from the biological constraints that women have oftentimes in their jobs. um, In your view, what should these DRE companies do to attract, retain, and promote more women um, to these senior management positions to respond to the much-needed industry transformation?
1: That's a great question, and I think I would have a, a wide variety of strategies that I would use. I think that they would need to be culturally sensitive. Uh, Look, my PhD is in marketing, right? Well, they called it marketing. I called it, how do you create social change so that we can do the clean energy transition? That literally was my intention when I went in for that PhD. And so, of course, what we do is, is we listen first and we understand what's going on in a particular area and you find out what the formal and informal power structure is. So, you know, the formal power structure, but what's the informal one? Who influences who? What's that web of of relationships? And then look for systemic change. What are the leverage points that would make it more empowering for women uh, that would bring to them not only the information, but the opportunities so that they could aspire to and successfully attain those positions? That's a lot of... Uh, professional development, maybe for them, but really for other people in the organizations. And I need to acknowledge that one of the best mentors I had at the beginning was not female, but male, and just happened to have that very collaborative, empathetic, um, empowering approach to his leadership. He was a college president. And um, so I think we want to look for and encourage that kind of mentoring. Um, but I also think we need good role models. So um, I'm a real fan of uh, get to the women early when they're girls and, and and let them see people who are behaving in that way. Um, let them hear the messages that then they can internalize. When I say behaving in that way, I mean taking on those positions and being part of the clean energy industry and, um, particularly in, in all levels, not just the higher levels, but in all levels. Um, but then also, um, giving it to them early on. Right. So let it be in the school curricula. Um, let it be in the apps and their phones, um, so that they see people who look like them, who are doing this work, who tell their story, um, But dare I also say that we've got to reach out to those men whose egos are, they're just not structured in a real healthy way. And they may default to defensiveness, territoriality, and and like a toxic um, presentation of their masculinity and just help them be healthier. There's wonderful movements around the world doing that. And it, you know, as you know, it reduces violence. It reduces Um, the separation of opportunities from, you know, from what we should be doing. Uh, and And it aligns their work, not only empowering the women, but aligns their work to be better. And along the way, of course, it empowers women and opens up those opportunities. Now, are there metrics that can help too? Sure. I mean, there's a lot of companies who have said, we commit to having this percentage of women and looking for them and giving them the materials and giving them the opportunities. Those all help too. You know, what you measure tends to drive how you behave. But I hope that I've given you some insights. It's definitely not all just plans and metrics, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um And I feel sometimes people get too caught up in the numbers and metrics, they forget the human side of things, um, and what impact that's really making. But like you said, you've, you've worked so closely with students, uh, being a professor in both the renewable energy and sustainability space, as well as Um, the psychology space, would you have any parting thoughts for young women who are either considering to enter this workforce or just started a career in the energy space? Um, What would be your advice to them for kind of making their own space, uh, looking for mentors? How should they develop their career from here on? So there are organizations um,
1: of women for women. Um, And, you know, an example in the in the US is WRISE, but there's organizations that are international as well. And you can uh, read more about them by looking at the gender disparity analyses in the clean energy space. We actually have in our green jobs initiative, which is out of UNEP YAY, which is the youth and education advocacy section. um, We have this Education for Green Jobs Global Guidance Document. It has resources. We have a virtual community um, that you can join. Just if you Google in UNEP, UNEP and Green Jobs, the website will come up. And uh, we have a you'll see there not only the global guidance document, but also a form you can fill out. You can come and hear about upcoming events. Network, network, network. Meet people. One of the things I love to do is go to events and talk in the chat about what we're working on or what I'm interested in. And I'd like to talk to other people who are interested in it too. And I've been able to build this fantastic network of people collaborating. So come and learn and collaborate with us. And of course at Power for All as well. You know, I'd like you to recognize that we can't always pick our parents. I hope you had wonderful parents, um, but we can pick the parenting voice within us. And so you are the only person who's going to be with you for the rest of your life. And to treat yourself as the best friend that you deserve. And so say things each day of there is so much that I can accomplish. And yes, I'm getting better and you can do it, say encouraging things. And if you fail at something, it's like, Oh, good. So what can I learn from this and move on? You got to fail at things, you know, or else you'll never learn anything. So have that positive, encouraging, supportive voice. Take the time to take care of yourself. Don't get stuck in victim mode. Learn from things and continue to envision the positive possibilities, not only for yourself, but for those around you. I am so grateful, Uh, but also take some ownership that I created a career where every day I was excited to go to work because I knew I was helping to make the world a better place. And so work with organizations that are doing that. Look for those jobs. Build your resume. And your resume isn't just what you've been paid for. Your resume are your skills, your abilities, your vision, your characteristics, your personality disposition that you can bring to a challenge. Um, And I would say uh, build resilience in yourself and continue to open yourself up to the possibilities. So I hope you'll join us. We're actually going to do a whole work group on career guidance, um, job placement, and improving it to be more inclusive in the whole uh, green economy. But our first focus is on the clean energy um, transition uh, and also, we are, uh, we've got a work group out of the Higher Education Sustainability Initiative. It's multiple U.N. agencies, higher ed networks for sustainability all over the world. So if your teachers or your professors, whatever level you're at, are giving you assignments where you write a paper and then it gets handed in and graded and handed back and that's it, ask your teacher if instead you can work on a real-world project with a local organization, or it might be a national or international organization remotely, where you can help to make a difference in the world. And you want to do that instead of doing the paper. And then you'll write up something about it after you've done it. You may end up with a much more exciting educational program. And then as you look at, you know, what are you going to do for the first job? So I have this thing on our, look at uspartnership.org, look under higher ed resources, scroll down and you'll see green and sustainability jobs. And it gives you three ways to look at getting a job. And it's not just going after the jobs that exist. It's also about taking any job and bringing the clean energy, renewable energies perspective into that job. And the third one is to create the jobs that don't yet exist. And I could tell you great stories about the energy managers and the renewable energy positions that didn't exist when I started and exist now and the people who started those positions. Um, So think about that, what the world needs and how can you help create it Um, and and then bring that sense of adventure to it. So there's one other thing I want to mention, I think, and that is that a lot of people think, oh, I can't go work for certain companies because they're doing bad things. There's three ways to change the world. One is to be the one who protests on the outside, says, holds them accountable. That's very important. There's also the person who works from within and helps those companies get better and make change. Being at the right meeting at the right time, saying the right thing to the people who are open to those messages. There's no guarantee you'll be successful, but that's always true. But it's worth trying to change those organizations And the third way is to go and create the alternatives and then point to them. Say, look, we could be living this way instead. And the clean energy's got a lot of space for all three of those approaches. Believe in yourself. And if you don't believe in yourself, pretend you do and act that way.
0: And over time, you'll find that you can. Thank you so much, Deborah, for sharing all these amazing resources and also such great advice not just for students, but also on the recruitment side of things for companies who are looking for more young people to join their sector. And I really did take back a lot and resonated with a lot of the advice that you said. Um, and yeah, I'm going to start by developing that relationship with myself and start believing in myself um, while, while working in this amazing space to create change. Uh, thank you for joining us today. And I had a great conversation um, and learned so much talking to you.
1: I'm so grateful that we could take this time together. I have a feeling from what I've talked with you in the past that you already do believe in yourself. It may just grow even bigger. Um, but I look forward to our next steps and how we're going to help meet the mission of Power for All. Um, it's 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 really touches my heart. It's exactly where I want to be. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. A reminder that you can find a wealth of sector news, analysis, and data on our website, that is powerforall.org, and our platform for energy access knowledge, or PEAK. You can also sign up to receive our monthly newsletter, and if you'd like to support our work, you can make a donation via our homepage. Speak to you soon on the next episode of Powerforall.